Hi, I'm Angela Lee and welcome to the Will to Live podcast where we share with you the gifts of living. I speak to inspiring wellness leaders, mums, celebrities, business people, super grannies and more to help you live your potential, connect to your purpose and bring joy to your life. Discovering your will to live a fulfilling life starts now. All right. Hello, everyone. I'm very excited today to have with me Michaela Daddario. Now, Michaela's been a very integral part of my life personally for the last like eight years now. I've actually worked with Michaela. So I'm just so excited to share um, some of the work that she does. So what does Michaela do? I'm about to tell you. So Michaela facilitates deep and expansive transformation for high achieving leaders. Michaela's focus is on assisting you to rapidly unlock more of your genius and your gifts by enhancing your emotional and spiritual intelligence through your quantum power centers for a deeper relationship with your true self and to successfully navigate the challenges of creating a better life and a better world. Whether the change you're facing is invited and desired or unwanted and traumatic, Michaela is here for you to help you fulfill your potential and utilize this change as a platform to become your best self and fulfill your highest destiny. She will help you to pinpoint and clear the specific karmic emotional influences blocking your well-being, intuition, happiness and success. You will discover the incredible power, grace and value of aligning with the high vibrational awareness of your whole being, soul and spirit so you can be a vibrational match with what matters most to you. Michaela's journey from a university education in psychology to leading expert in quantum transformation and quantum emotional healing spans 30 years in the human potential movement. More than 15,000 women and men have benefited from Michaela's mentoring, facilitation and training over the past decades. Michaela is the CEO of Creative Evolution and the founder of the IICT accredited modality, Quantum Emotional Healing. Her work has been described as being at the forefront of the human potential consciousness movement in Australia. Now, that is an, an, um, that introduction there. Welcome, Michaela. Thank you so much for coming on. And yeah, and I've, as I said earlier, I've worked with you for over eight years now, and I just know for me personally that the insights and perspectives I've gained from the work with you has just been life-changing and I can say 100% hand on my heart that I would not be um, where I am today without this work and that's why I so want to get this message out there and share the work um, that you do. So thank you so much um, for coming on. Oh, thank you, Angela. It's such an honour to be here with you, and I'm so excited for you. And uh, you are you are most definitely an inspiration in my world and in my life. What you've been through and how you've transformed that. Like to me, you are the living embodiment of what's possible um, in terms of overcoming tragedy. Yeah. No, thank you. And yes, well, the work certainly helped me as well. And I guess when we talk about um, quantum emotional healing, because I do tell people I've had quantum emotional healing and people (laughs) just sometimes just go, oh my God, what is she on about? So, you know, for the listeners, I'd love for you to explain um, what is quantum emotional healing and what it is you, you do. The introduction gave us some insight, but I'd love for you to explain it to our listeners. Yes. So in in essence, quantum emotional healing is addressing what I call the karmic imprints that reside in the emotional body. And so these are the imprints are basically what's left after we've been through a tragic event. So the emotional body holds that event and it actually doesn't get 
properly addressed, we can move on. But unless we actually focus and address the emotional body in a very particular way, what happens is, is, that, is that that part of us continues on alive and charged with that trauma and tragedy mm-hmm. and can affect us in both present and future. It's like um, essentially it's like a reactive energy, emotional energy of pain and suffering that's still sitting in our emotional body. Mm. Um, and so what I found, um, what I've discovered over the years is that we can do as much positive thinking as we like. We can address what's going on mentally on a conscious level. Mm. Yet if we're not addressing what's buried emotionally, and usually what happens is that we bury it because we need to, to be able to keep going. Mm. So what happens is that at the time of the event, we're not able to properly process and integrate it. So what we do is we bury a big chunk of it and we bury part of ourselves with it. And then, and that's a survival strategy and it's appropriate. It's absolutely appropriate. It's not, it's not something that we're doing wrong. It's Mm. just that it's a survival strategy and it's supposed to be a short term strategy not a long-term one. Now, what happens is is that typically we can then carry that stuff for years and years and years and it keeps playing out and it can affect our health, our relationships, our sense of self, um, our capacity to feel joy, our energy levels. Um, so, so my premise is that there comes a time where it's important to address that. And that does require courage and it requires, as you know, it requires that deep Mm. dive into Mm. the emotional self, into the soul. Mm. And and it requires us to face that um, event without having, it's not like you're having to relive it again, but what you're basically doing is going back and finding that part of yourself. You're really on a rescue mission to Mm. find that part of yourself that you buried and be able to release that and with that release the trap potential that's there as well. Yeah, no, that's, um, well, yeah, and that's exactly what it is, you know, and I think so many people can resonate with that. Like, you know, what we do is we just have to get on with things, like you said, because we have to get on with life. But what happens is all of these events and these things that are happening, aren't, you know, they don't go anywhere, they get stored within us. So it's really important to be to be able to shift that. And so the sessions that you take, actually go in and help us shift, shift that from us. Yes. Mm. And so, um, the way that I particularly work with it is that I look for the imprinting that's sitting within the power centers, our energy power centers, which we call the chakras. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and that's a deeply profound process as you've experienced. Mm-hmm. It just takes it to another whole level. And so mm-hmm. I'm working within that. The reason why it's called quantum emotional healing is mm-hmm. because I'm working with the unified field I'm working with the quantum field um, mm. and that's a particular vibration and a particular um, energy that enables us to release this kind of trauma on a deep deep level so you really do let it go out of yourselves um, out of your body out of your mind body soul and spirit mm. and you're also releasing I believe it's like it's actually working on your DNA as well because you're working you're working with the very, very, very deepest core of you. Yeah, and I can just so attest to that. And, you know, I just had a session with you again last week and it's it's just so powerful in that. Like, I, you know, for me personally, one of the things that I'd been working on is um, forgiveness and trying to forgive, like going through a divorce and my ex-husband and trying to get to that place. And, 
you know, I tried so many different things, like so many different, you know, mindset work, seeing psychologists, you know, I do different exercises to help me release stuff. I bought forgiveness doTERRA oils. I, you know, I was doing meditations where I was actually like, you know, really going into this deep dive and forgiveness. I I know every single forgiveness quote, but there was still a, there was still a part of me that Mm. I, I know that within my being, I wasn't feeling it. And I just said to you at the start of the call that after the session, um, within a few days, I got to a place where, you know, when I saw him, I actually was in a, I don't know, something had shifted to the point that I actually invited him along to come to Dreamworld with our daughter. And, and it, it, you just sort of can't explain those things when you push and try everything else. Something, it, sometimes it's deeper and you have to go deeper um, with doing it. So I want to thank you for that. And I guess I just wanted to share that little story as an example of, um, you know, the type of thing that it can help with. But something else I want to know as well is like, you know, how does one become a quantum emotional healer? Like, you know, I'd love to hear your journey um, about how you actually became that because it's not something we go to school and it's in the school curriculum, like let's become a quantum emotional um, healer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess I'll start back when I was 12 Mm -hmm. um, and I needed the support of a school counsellor. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember coming out of that session with the school counsellor and feeling like, wow, you know, she really, really helped me and it inspired me. I remember at 12 deciding, that's it, I'm going to be a counsellor, a therapist, psychologist. I hadn't kind of clarified it at 12, but all yeah. I knew was that I wanted to do what she was doing because I could feel that something had really shifted in me. Mm. And um, so uh, fast forward, I went to... Um, ANU and I studied psychology. I did a double majors, the honor stream. I was all set up to become a clinical psychologist. Um, you know, my father's a scientist, so he kind of already had it mapped out. I was going to have my PhD done by this time. And, you know, so in lots of ways, um, I was on a mission to do something, but I also was feeling, I guess, a level of pressure to follow a particular path. Mm. So halfway through my honors year, I came to the realisation that psychology wasn't my path, which to say was uh, distressing is an understatement because yeah. <laughs> I was kind of like, oh, my God. And um, so in the end I actually contracted glandular fever and that, you know, looking back, that really gave me the exit route that I needed. And, in fact, I was bedridden for nearly six months. And through that time I really had to think, I had a lot of time to think <laughs> And, um, and I really thought about, you know, what am I doing? What do I want to be doing? I realized that, um, I wasn't actually, my heart was not in managing symptoms. My heart wasn't in helping people to just manage situations. I realized at that time that I really wanted to help people fulfill their potential. Mm. And so to me, psychology was restrictive and, and there's lots of, awesome psychologists out there and and positive psychology is an amazing stream now that we have yet at the time in the 80s um my options were pretty limited in that regard and I just felt like it wasn't my path Mm. so uh, I actually then went into um the community sector I decided that I really wanted to be where I could feel that I was really making a difference. Mm-hmm. And so once I got well, I actually um, started working for the Rape Crisis Centre. So I was in my early 20s 
oh my gosh, it was just mm. really full on. Like we did not have sexual assault units at the time. Um, you know, I remember my boyfriend one time, we weren't supposed to go and actually meet um, the ladies that had been, been assaulted who had contacted us on the crisis line through the night. But I remember one time being so distressed that I actually got my, my boyfriend to drive me and park me at the end of the street and I went and found the phone box and found her um, to talk to her because she was just so distressed. Mm. Um, and so it was like a war zone. Uh, you know, this is, in, this is in suburban Canberra and uh, I'm suddenly going, oh, my God, you know, there's calls every single night from women who were had been raped and so it just completely shattered my worldview and of of what was really going on behind the scenes in life and um and I became very very passionate about wanting to contribute and help in that regard and uh so I stayed with the rape crisis center for a number of years and then I had I've got to say it was just the most incredible professional opportunity of my life. Um, this was through, you know, the Hawk years and um, there were pretty amazing things happening in the community sector and one of those was a residential service for women uh, and women with children who were in emotional and psychiatric distress and it was an alternative to the psychiatric system uh, and it was a residential support service and we provided therapy um, group therapy as well as one-on-one support um, and it enabled women to stay with their children while they were working through uh, their issues rather than having to go into a psychiatric ward and be alienated from everybody separated so it was a very very uh, unique service mm -hmm. and I worked with it was part of women's services so I worked with women for women and women with children um, that that gave me the foundation for what uh, I feel that that gave me the foundation as a therapist and as a healer because I got exposed to extreme levels of distress and uh, and through that time was taught like we had the most incredible in-house training we had top top trainers um, I got exposed to Van der Kolk's work Van der Kolk um, is the founder of he developed the concept of disassociation um, and disassociation disassociative identity disorder which was a huge uh, shift in awareness mm. um, within the psychiatric and psychological um, world because up until then it had been defined as multiple personality disorder and then it was rec and van der Kolk proved that um, disassociation is actually a response to trauma it's not something you're born with it's not it's not actually a mental illness it's actually a response to trauma mm. so so those years gave me an incredible foundation for working with trauma and mm. so I was working with a psychotherapeutic model um, a counseling model but that was really really cutting edge yeah so so yes I spent my late 20s and early 30s working in that field um, mm. and it basically wasn't an issue that I didn't deal with because there were clients that had drug issues, um, like all sorts of stuff was going on. So mm. um, it's led me to have, I guess, a huge level of compassion and understanding mm. um, for why we do what we do and why 
we um, how it is that we handle the situations that happen to us in very different ways. Yeah. Um, and it also showed me that emotional distress and what we call psychiatric distress is a continuum and that we can all be on that continuum at different places. Mm. And, um, and because a lot of our, you know, people assume that, oh, it's the most disadvantaged that go into women's shelters or go into um, supported accommodation. It's not the case at all. Mm. We had lots of middle-class women, uh, young women from all sorts of backgrounds, um, well-educated, um, you know, upper middle class that were in these situations. So it was a situation that um, is affecting, you know, women across across all classes and across all um, circumstances. Yeah, it's so, so, yeah, it so affects so many people. And so at this point you were doing what, what people would um, be more familiar with in terms of like yeah. more of a traditional, I guess, counselling type therapy approach. Like how did you shift from sort of that type of approach into the quantum healing approach and sort of the differences you see between the two? Because that's sort of what I'd love for people to try and um, understand because I've experienced it and I do feel it. Like both are useful, but I just sort of to explain those differences I think would be really um, powerful. Yes. Well, fundamentally my motivation was that um, especially when I was doing the psychotherapy and I was working, I then moved on to a counselling service for women that had experienced um, sexual abuse. Mm. And so I was working as a psychotherapist and counselling in that form and, and also in my private practice. Mm. So what I discovered was, you know, working with these issues over years, I was seeing how, you know, clients were coming back week after week working so hard on themselves and, and doing everything they could, but it was like such small steps. Mm-hmm. And um, it just seemed to be taking so long. And what I also noticed, because, you know, it, it was only in the late 90s that we even made the connection between mind-body and all of that. Mm. So what I was noticing was, hang on, all these clients are developing physical issues. They're de- mm. developing really major health issues. What's going on here? There's something more going on. So I went off and did a diploma in therapeutic massage because I wanted to understand the body more and um, I was also teaching women self-defense so I'd done martial arts for a lot of years so I was really looking at chi energy and how that influences our well-being as well mm. and um, then I went on and did a teaching diploma in drew yoga and so that opened my eyes to chakras mm. and I was like oh my gosh how come I didn't know about chakras how come everybody doesn't know about chakras like I was just so I was so amazed that we had these incredible power centers within us Mm. and to me it seemed like that was the piece of um that was the missing link for me it was like Mm. there's something going on here with chakras that I need to know more about Um, I then went off and did, you know, my master prac in, in NLP, my trainer, trainer in NLP. So I spent, I spent a number of years really training in the NLP field. Mm. Uh, and again, though, I felt as far as trauma was concerned and as far as, far as um, high levels of stress were concerned, it just, to me, there was just still missing pieces of the puzzle. Mm. So then what happened was that um, I ended up leaving community services and sold my house, sold everything and went to London because I really needed to change. I needed major change. I wanted to stop teaching self-defense. I wanted to stop working in the trauma field. It was like I really needed a massive change. So I went to London and I spent a year in London and there I developed 
the ideas for this new business because at the time I was like, I need help, but I don't want to go and see a traditional psychologist. I don't feel like they're getting what's going on for me. It's like I'm feeling lost. I'm not sure where I'm meant to be going in the world now. Um, I'm leaving a, a profession behind that I don't want to be a part of anymore. It's like where do I fit in this? I've, you know, a lot of past issues were, st- were starting to come up for me. Mm. Um, I went to a couple of therapists sort of in more conventional model and I just, I just didn't feel like they were, were mm. um, what I needed. So mm. when I was in London, I actually developed my own framework and I took myself through it and I called it creative life planning. And at that stage, life coaching and, and did not exist in Australia. So I developed this concept and I took myself through it and I went, far out, this really works. Mm. And it was basically like, you know, instead of having a business plan, create a life plan, create a framework for change. Mm. Mm. And so I took myself through that change and I did a lot of creative things. Um, I wrote a play. I got involved in a choir, gospel choir there that I had heaps of fun with. Um, I was the only white person in the choir (laughs) and I I was just like a whole new world. I went off and did acting classes. So I did a whole lot of creative things and then came back to Australia and I don't know if you remember the niece grants, but I actually got a niece grant through the government to set up my business and that provided me with a mentor for 12 months, a business mentor, business training and um, 12 months support. Mm. So (laughs) I set up what I thought was this amazing concept. I was so excited. And my own business mentor said, it's not going to work. And uh, he said, people are not going to pay for a service that's about fulfillment because that was the premise. I was like, create a life worth living. That was the, the, the whole, my tagline was live a creative life and create a life worth living mm. back in 1999. And he just said, you know, you know remember the 90s, it was about um, if you weren't stressed, you weren't working hard enough. You know, that was your badge of honour, how stressed you were. Yeah. And um, so he was like, people are not going to come to a service and pay for a service to create more fulfilment. And I said, I believe they are. Mm-hmm. And so I basically asked for a new mentor. <laughs> I was just like, I was so adamant. I was like, no, this is it. I'm yeah. onto something here. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I wanted to provide, though, a service that addressed what I called fulfilling success because I saw that fulfillment and success were not mutually exclusive. Mm. Whereas in the 90s, that's how it was perceived. Yes, mm. you, 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 were, you took a life of fulfillment and meaning, but you weren't going to make money and you certainly weren't going to be financially successful. Or you took the financial success path and tough it, just eat it up. You know, if, it's not, if you're not enjoying it, too bad. You're making mm-hmm. lots of money. That's all that matters. Mm-hmm. And so my premises was no, you can actually do the two together. And um, and on, on and in within that, I wanted to also offer a service that provided um, therapy and healing and mentoring to high achievers who were going under the radar because that was, was what was happening to me. Everyone was telling me, "You're fine. Mm. There's nothing wrong." And I'm like, "No, there is something not right. I don't feel right in myself." And they're like, "There are so many more people that are in a worse place than you. Don't worry about it." And I was like, "Who's looking after us?" Yeah. Looking after the high achievers, the type A's that are presenting to the world that everything's fabulous and fantastic and they're so competent and blah, 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 blah. Mm. Yet deep inside we're suffering. Yep. And so that's, that was why I set up my service. And so mm. 
I set it up in January 2000. People were just like, what is this? <laughs> what it was is- so ahead of the times. Like, I mean, you look at now, it's like 20 years ahead of the times, really. Yeah. Like, it, it was. Yeah. And so people were just looking at me like, what are you doing? Have you lost the plot? Yeah. And, um, and I was just so in my core. That's how I've been all my life. It's like, mm. you know, I listen to my inner voice. I've always mm. listened to my inner voice and that deeper knowing. And, I, and at the times where I've had naysayers around me, I've just ignored that and I've just followed it. And it's always proven to be correct. Mm. So the irony was September, I remember it so vividly, September 2000, life coaching hit Australia in a massive way. Mm. And suddenly everybody was like, ah, is that, you know, is that that what you're doing? doing? (laughs) And I was like, well, I'm not a life coach yet. I am here to help you create a more fulfilling life mm. and I'm here mm. to help you address those deeper obstacles that are getting in the way of that. So it just gave mm. me a context. Suddenly people could relate. Yeah. Uh, so I was just off and running. Like I just, my business just went off and mm. that was when I was based in Canberra. And, um, and so I just didn't look back. Like it, mm. it was, it was a fantastic, amazing time. And I was helping a lot of senior executives Mm. Um, in the public service and also working with people in business themselves but primarily at that time in Canberra I was working with senior execs. Yeah so like with that work like what are some I mean you've worked with over 15,000 so it might be hard to to pick a couple but you know like what differences it'd be interesting for you to explain to sort of the listeners the differences that some of your clients experience or the shifts that they got in like a shorter period of time because that is the difference like traditional therapy has its place but Sometimes you can get these shifts that transform you. I, I don't know, connect you back to you, get you on your path. Yeah. Because I'd love for you to maybe share if you can think of anyone like that comes to mind who's done that because I think that would really resonate with some of the listeners. Yes. Yeah. Oh, there's so many situations. Yeah. Um, okay, so one, you know, one scenario that comes up quite a bit is uh, high achievers that are actually on antidepressant med- medication. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they have come to me because they really don't want to be um, numbing themselves out that way and they don't feel like that's actually the answer or the solution for Mm -hmm. them Mm -hmm. and the side effects and everything else have really been debilitating for them Mm -hmm. so I've helped with along with holistic doctors I've worked with a a lot of clients in actually addressing that issue Mm -hmm. Um, and the change for them has just been massive to be able Mm -hmm. to um, get off the medication, um, feel connected to themselves again, feel like they're, they're connecting to their deeper inner self. Mm. It's so profound because, um, you know, they weren't enjoying that sense of disconnection and they weren't able to create that sense of joy and fulfilment. So mm. helping, helping high achievers in that situation where they're able to reconnect with themselves is so mm. profound. And mm. then that, has led them to make, you know, massive life changes, like leaving the jobs that they weren't happy with, setting up their own businesses, going for it, you know, healing their marriages, repairing their relationships with their kids. Like the ripple effect um, has just been, can just be enormous in those situations. Mm. Um, Another situation I had, an entrepreneur who had it all. Um, So at, at 40, he had achieved all his goals and he had a complete crisis because he was like, what do I do now? What's, what's my purpose? What, what am I actually here for? I've hit all my goals. Mm. Um, and so people kind of go, well, that's a nice problem to have. And <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. and it is, yet he was also 
really filled with angst and and interestingly what happens often in that situation when you achieve high levels of success you start worrying about losing it Mm. you start actually worrying about losing your financial position Mm. and so that can end up really impacting on your capacity to enjoy life and um and so I kind of call it the Midas curse. It's like, you know, you've got all this money, you're really, really successful, and then you just start spiralling out into this negativity of fear of losing it and what if I lose this in, and then you start contracting. So this client was just contracting and contracting and contracting. Um, and if he had continued along that path, he would have created a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like he would have, he was on the way to unravelling unraveling mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. So... So he came to me at a, that pivotal time where we were able to um, support him to basically go through the process of reconnecting with himself, addressing all those past fears because those fears related to childhood issues mm. and now start mentioning past lives. Um, mm. We actually addressed past life issues. Um, mm. What I've discovered over the years, having been a very cynical person in my 20s who did not believe in past lives mm. and they were just a mechanism of denial. I remember actually saying to somebody, past lives, what rubbish. We've got enough to deal with in this life. Why on earth do we need to be dealing with past lives? I was really cynical and harsh about it and I just laugh at myself now that I do so much work on past lives. Such an irony. Um, So we did a lot of past life work with him as well Um, and past lives where he had lost everything that was feeding into that fear. So addressing all of that, he um, he uh, ended a situation that wasn't working for him. He made huge changes. He found the love of his life all within 12 months of us working together. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, those kind of stories are just, there's just story after story of, of clients who look at your situation, mm-hmm. you know, um, I mean, I remember you saying to me how you you didn't feel that you were in a position to have another child, that yeah. you were just, I remember you being adamant with me mm. saying that. Yeah. And, you know, and we worked through that trauma and then you got pregnant again and it was yeah. just, oh, I've got to say, that was just one of the most um, precious moments when, I received that message from you letting me know that you were pregnant again. And to me that was was the evidence that you truly had stepped back into yourself and was backing, you were backing yourself again and backing your life Mm. and backing what mattered most to you. Because I think, you know, when we experience trauma and loss, we part of the journey is is trusting ourselves again. Mm. And trusting that we can rebuild, that we can recreate a life that um, is worth living, mm. and um, and then in turn be an inspiration of uh, for others like you are now. Mm. And um, so, you know, for me, it's about we do the inner work, and it's it's there to help us reconnect, to be more powerful, um, to be more intuitive to be happier and it's also though for us to then create that positive ripple effect mm. to me to me personally it's not enough for me to just be happy um, mm. it's it, to me it's like we're here to actually um, create 
opportunities for greater healing and, and greater transformation through our spheres of influence. So the people mm-hmm. I work with, like you, are mm-hmm. people that are wanting to do something good with what they've discovered, that power that mm-hmm. they've discovered within themselves. And that to me is so inspiring because I feel like I'm changing the world one leader at a time. Yeah. That's, that's how I feel I work. And, you know, a lot of people in my field, they, they kind of see one-to-one mentoring as a stepping stone and they kind of, you know, and then it's group, group work and then it's like, mm-hmm. you know, they, they don't see it as something that um, is, is like something that you actually stick with. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, one-to-one mentoring will always be the core of my work. Yes, I've done lots of group work in the past and I will again Mm -hmm. and there's lots of platforms that I can help people on that level Mm -hmm. yet to me the one-on-one work is so profound Mm -hmm. and and so precious a time where the leader goes through this incredible metamorphosis that can only occur because of that one-to-one work together and that trust and that you know being able to be that confidant um, and being Mm -hmm. able to express that vulnerability Mm. Um, you know, in a in a witnessed sacred safe space. Mm. So, um, so for me, that it's that process of of unfolding of 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 allowing the new self to come about. Because when we go through that kind of loss, that self does die. The self mm. loss does end, and it really is a, a recreation of a new self. Um, and to me, there's just nothing more precious or profound than helping a leader, who, a powerful person, mm. expand their capacity to love and to heal and to inspire. Yeah, it's, yeah, you know, it's some of the most, <laughs> like I'm just sitting here listening going, oh, my God, that's amazing just listening to you speak. But it is so profound. And I think, like you talked about a few different situations there, but I think there's some things there that are really powerful in that, you know, why people often go on these antidepressants is like we said, we move on with things and we don't deal with what's healed. So until you actually go in and heal what's there, you can't move on, you know, yeah. and by you, them healing that, it's enabled them to to move forward and get, get off that because they're not numbing themselves anymore. They're not avoiding it. So, you know, like I've seen that with people as well who've done your work, you know, and the other thing as well is like, you know, you can have all this external excess like that entrepreneur you were talking about, but unless you've done the internal work to get an alignment, so it's about, you know, the personal business alignment, unless yeah. you actually do that work, it doesn't. It either doesn't mean anything, or or it won't hang around because you're you're not aligned with it. So you know it is so powerful like that. And I just know from the work that I've done as well, just some of the insights like you touched upon with you know not thinking I would have another child, but to actually be in that state and get that clear message that that was going to happen, and because certain things have healed, it was really. I've actually wrote, written about that in my book. It was just something that was unbelievable and the fact that it happened so soon and yes and naturally after years of IVF and pushing for a child and then to have this deep healing and this gift from Will was like you know that's the type of level that people can work on and you know I really think that if people really want to change their life and are those people that really want to make a difference you have to go deep in yourself and do this type of work without a doubt so you know I just um yeah, I think there's so many great things for people to hear there. I guess um, there's a couple of other questions I wanted to sort of ask you as well is like, you know, 
you've been faced with some of the life's most tragic events and, you know, I'm just wondering if you can share a couple of key things, how you actually navigate your way through it because, you know, and the practices that you do to maintain your energy because it's like, you know, people look at you and go, oh, Michaela's amazing or people say to me, oh, Angela, you're going so well. But, you know, I've been on the couch not being able to get off the couch in deep pain and deep anger. I've punched the bed. I've, you know, I've gone through all that stuff. It's not like we don't go through it, but it's like, you know, navigating our way through by doing regular practices and and I'd just love for you to share sort of how you um, do that because what you've been through and where you are is um, is phenomenal. Thank you. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, and this is, today is actually a really significant day for me here talking with you. Mm. Um, it's interesting that we've paralleled each other in so many ways because 2015 was, you know, the year where we both experienced massive trauma mm. and, um, and mine involved the murder of my younger sister in Canberra. And, and I can absolutely say that who I was died the moment I was hearing that on the phone. I could just, I just, just, yeah, it was just so deeply, profoundly shattering. And, um, and so these last four years, I have been on an intense journey of, of recreating myself and um and building a new self and um part of that is about stepping out into the public sphere again because whilst I continued my mentoring work um I removed myself from the public face mm. and I made a decision that I just was not ready to be out in the public arena um, because that would inevitably involve me having to talk about what I'm talking about now and which I can do without bursting into tears and without being really deeply distressed, um, you know, that I can actually talk about it now, uh, knowing that this is going out into the world and I'm putting myself out there and, and that's I'm a very private person, so to even acknowledge that vulnerability is really big for me. Mm. Um, so, you know, and I've got to say, one of the things that got me through were my clients mm. because I know everybody is watching to see how I was going to handle it, mm. you know, because here I am talking about, you know, if you've gone through trauma, um, you can come out a bigger, better self and that that's mm. the intention. And so here I was facing a tragedy that was really going to test me mm. on all levels and um, and. That resulted in me making a decision with my husband at the time for us to end our marriage. Um, it resulted in me having to let go of my beautiful hinterland sanctuary. So there was like lots of changes that came about as a result, a lot of loss that came about. It was choices and they were decisions that I made, yet they were also really tough decisions that resulted in a lot of sadness and a lot of grief as well. Mm. Uh, so what's got me through those four years is a team. You know, I, I, if ever I was a lone wolf, this certainly taught me not to be that anymore. Um, and so I've had a number of different people that I've worked with. Some people have stayed, like I have with you, some people have stayed with me the whole way through. Other people have come and gone for different periods that they, they were there to help me and then I've moved on to something else. Mm -hmm. um, but I've certainly had a key number of people that have helped me through the journey. Um, and in terms of my own 
individual practice. Mm. One of the things that I've done, because what I know through my work is that when we deal with trauma, when we have trauma, it not only is affecting, we're not only affected by the trauma itself, it triggers other unresolved past issues. Mm. And so, and it will trigger other issues in this life as well as other incarnations. So one of the things that I have been doing through the whole four years is addressing my past life issues. I have been systematically going back and addressing all aspects of all incarnations. Like I've done so much past life work so that I could just clear the triggers, clear the issues um, so that I could just deal more with the present in the now stuff instead of having all that, that kind of other stuff Mm. constantly biting me and Mm. you know and like you I've had times where I haven't been able to get off the couch I've had Mm. times where I looked like you know 80 years old like the grief was just like in my Mm. face in my pores and I would just stay at home because I was just like oh my god I'm not going out today because it's just I'm not too much I know I'm not I'm just not in a place to connect with anybody. Yeah. And, um, you know, they're not going to get the best of me by far today. So, you know, and sometimes I'd stay at home for days and mm. just be with myself. Mm. Um, and I remember in the first few months I was so vulnerable that, like, one of the things some of my friends did was that they would take me to the movies. We would go to the movies twice, three times a week. Mm. And I couldn't go by myself. I used to love going to the movies by myself. But after that trauma for a while, I was so fragile that I couldn't leave the house without a friend or without my husband. Mm. And that was, I've been such an independent, powerful woman. That Mm. was really tough to Mm. be that vulnerable and to acknowledge that I am feeling that vulnerable that I can't even walk out of the house by myself. Mm. You know, that was tough and it was big. It was a big deal for me to actually ask for help and ask Mm. for support. Mm. So my friends would just take, we would just go to the movies. We just kept going to the movies Mm. and it was so good. Um, Just things, little things like that where you can just laugh, where you can just, just forget about what's going on for a while and have fun. Um, I know that sounds bizarre, like in our context of having experienced such tragedy. Mm. Yet I do believe you can make space for fun. You can make space to laugh. You, you know, it's like you can contain it, even if it's just for a couple of hours and then mm. open up that pain and that grief and have a look at it at another time. But it is possible to contain it for a while and it's important to do mm. that. Mm. So I experience you know, I definitely um, utilise the skills of containment where I could contain it for when I was working with my clients, when I was mm-hmm. having fun and then in the privacy of my own space or with healers or mentors that I was working with, you know, unlock it and unravel it and, and deal with it. Work with um, it, yeah. That's so, something that you said about the fun then. Like that's certainly something that I did and, you know, when everyone was doing their 104 Will Challenges after Will passed away, I the one that I did was actually to do some yoga every day and make sure I laughed every day. So even if it was yeah. just like I'd get to some nights at 8.30, 9pm at night and I'd be looking for something to laugh at because I hadn't laughed because I forgot how to laugh and, you know, I'd be watching little clips on YouTube and even if it was like, you know, sometimes a forced laugh, but by doing that <laughs> yeah. it, it just helped remember, yes, my brain was going through all this grief and tragedy, yeah. but I need to remember some of those things and, you know, the interesting thing with mine, which links into all this as well, at the end of that 104-day challenge where I chose that, I was 103 days pregnant with Liv. And and I just think there's some real power in yeah. you know, making 
you know, those choices, like you said, like you can find it. And I guess something that I wanted to sort of touch on with you as well is that, you know, most of the time I, you know, I'm operating up here, I have great positivity, I am connected back to myself, but, and it is a lot better now, but I know sort of in the early, even the first couple of years after Will, like you sort of can slip back into that place where you lose that faith and positivity. And I'm just wondering, like, you know, any tips that you have for people who might be struggling, they might have gone through some tough times and nothing seems to be going right for them, like how they can sort of help shift out of that and, you know, believe that things will be okay and that, you know, that have the faith that things will work out or it's happening for a greater reason or like how do you look at things like that? Yes, well, the, for me, happiness is an inside job. It mm. most definitely is. Mm. And the, the more we can connect with that deeper more peaceful self, um, the better. So one of the things to keep in mind is that, you know, we have, we have the ego and we have the true self and the ego is the aspect of us that takes the hits through life. So I have a very compassionate view of the ego. I don't see it as this evil thing that we've got to delete and get rid of. The ego is an extension. It's the, a low vibrational extension of our soul. Mm -hmm. And so our ego is the part of us that holds the stuff mm -hmm. and it's also the part of us that creates karma um so what i suggest in those moments is is to check in with yourself and see you know ask yourself who's in the driver's seat at the moment is it my ego or is it my true self mm -hmm. and because in that moment you have a choice as to what you can do next to help yourself step into a better place so one of the examples um, that I can offer with that is what I call the venting tool. So this was a tool that I used to help shift some of that emotional um, garbage that collects up, that stops us from um, being more in our true authentic self. And this is just a simple thing that you can do mm -hmm. um, is grab some paper, put a timer on, and just for 15 minutes, write out all the stuff you're too afraid to admit. So this is this is kind of like an unsent letter. It could be about somebody that you're really upset with at the time. So it's really important that you do not send it. Something <laughs> I have done this, by the way, that Michaela's <laughs> this little tip here. <laughs> and so it's something, it's to get the garbage out. And I've had some clients say, you know, oh, my God, I feel like I'm going to get struck down by lightning because I've got such nasty feelings and thoughts about this person or this situation and what I want to offer with that is that that's just old emotional toxic crap that's just mm. stagnant like a swamp and it's not the truth of who you are yet you need permission to get it out mm. um, so it's like right and it could be scribble so it's not journal writing and you just write 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 get all the stuff out and do it every day. Do it anytime you feel like you've got a backlog of stuff. You might just write, you know, for 10 minutes about how frustrated you are with yourself. Whatever it is, get it out and then shred it. It's not something you leave around. It's like you don't read over it. It's like I say to people, you know, you put the garbage in the garbage can. You don't have to go through it to check whether you've, it's garbage. You know it's garbage. You don't have to read through it. It's not meant to be read through. Just get it out, shred it, get rid of it. Um, another thing you can do is, is another strategy is if you feel like you're more a vocal person, um, is to get in the car and drive somewhere quiet that's away from people and just let rip. Mm. Just yell 
you know, pull over somewhere where there's nobody around and just let rip, just let that frustration out, that anger, have a big sob. You know, it's just like get that emotion out. And again, not while you're driving, but it's like park somewhere. But it's like get get that energy out verbally. You know, say what you need to say that you just don't feel like you can say to the person um, or the situation. It's just like get it out verbally as well. Mm. Because that energy sits in our body, it's like verbalising it or writing it down and getting it out on paper actually shifts it on a cellular level like it does actually get it out and as much as you know we're talking about being 5d and sitting in high vibration all the time the reality is that stuck emotion is low vibration and it needs an avenue to get out emotion is it's energy in motion so it needs sometimes it needs opportunities to be released Mm. um doing something like um punching a punching bag, getting a piece of hose and hitting a punching bag. Like these are all, they all seem really base things. But when you've been through major trauma, Mm. there's a lot of emotion that needs to be shifted and it's not pretty. And if we keep um, putting a lid on it and stopping ourselves and saying, you know, no, I've I've got to find a higher vibrational way to process this, then it's like we're really actually going to end up disconnecting. And this is what I see. People that come to work with me who have done a lot of personal work can sometimes be in worse shape than people that have done nothing because what's happened is they've done so much work on the mental level that they've created this big gap between their mental body and their emotional body because they've been shoving all this emotion down in order to be this high vibrational guru. And it's like, it's not the answer. We, we need to find ways to shift that emotion, which are safe and which are easy um, so that we can then get to the deeper root cause of what's going on. Yeah, that's so powerful, that message. And that's certainly something that I did because, you know, after Will, I went straight to like, you know, this has happened for a reason and it's okay. Like I I was in that place, but then it was like, I'm still feeling all this pain. So, and that had to come out, you know, I've punched pillows, I've done the screaming, I've done the writing, like you have to get it out in that way. So I think that's a really, um, yeah, really powerful message. Like we're coming to the end of this, like I could talk all day to you, but um, we do have to come to the end at some point. But, you know, obviously this podcast is about finding the will to live your most fulfilling life. What would be your... I guess, biggest takeaways or a gift that you could give our listeners to help them find the will to live their most fulfilling life? Well, I guess what I want to say to everybody is that you are here for a reason and you have your own purpose and mission. You absolutely have your highest destiny available to you. And what I want to offer to people is if you're not feeling fulfilled, if you're not happy, it's because you're not on your highest path. You're not on the path that's best for you. You're not on the path that is aligning best with you. Mm. And so what I want to offer to to all of you is give yourself permission to live your best life and know that if you're not happy, invest in the work that's needed to be done. It's, it's, you know, like we'll invest in holidays. Um, Catch yourself before you fall. It's like do the inner work of connecting with your deeper self, with your true self, because that will end up being the greatest gift for yourself and others. It's like if you're able to connect with your own internal guidance of what is your best path, then that best path means that all the people ahead on that best path waiting for you, waiting for your support, waiting for your leadership, waiting for your love, waiting for your care, your inspiration, 
they're there. They're there waiting for you. And it's a matter of you getting out of your own way, addressing what needs to be addressed, have the courage to do the deep dive and know that if you back yourself 100% and absolutely do not give up, that's the one thing I want to say is do not give up no matter how tough it gets, no matter how vulnerable you feel. Mm. I want to offer to you that as a leader, it's a tough gig. We're out there. People uh, are looking to us as inspiration. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot on our shoulders, and so I want to offer to you that um, embrace your vulnerability. Embrace and know that you are an amazing person, and whatever's going on for you right now, it can be resolved. It can be addressed. And the most important thing is to back yourself, not give up, and reach out. Reach out and ask for support. Yeah, no, that is such amazing advice. It's certainly advice that I've um, taken. And I know we'll be putting some links um, with this podcast as well because Michaela is giving away her um, equilibrium breathing sort of meditation healing. It's about love and gratitude. So she's going to be giving that away to free for everyone who who wants that as well. And there's also um, some specials that she's put together for people that want to dive into sort of her leadership transformation program or trying a one-off healing session as well. So thank you so much for doing that because it's something that I certainly would love everyone to experience. And I really appreciate you, you know, sharing those specials with our audience, but thank you so much for your time. It's just been amazing hearing all that. And I feel like I'm energized just getting to be in your presence again for another 40 odd minutes. I think we've talked for. So, um, and look at that. It's 11, 11 AM. So there's a sign. This has been awesome. So thanks so much. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to another session soon. Oh, thank you, Angela. It's been amazing. And I just want to thank you for being the most beautiful platform for me to step out into the public world again. And I just don't think that's any coincidence. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, love you lots. Thank yes. you. You're such an inspiration, darling. Thank you so much. <laughs> I'm Angela Lee, and you've been listening to Will to Live, the podcast. You can join us on Facebook in our Will to Live online community, that's L-I-V, Facebook group, or follow Angela Lee on social media and at www.angelalee.com.au. Also, if you enjoyed this podcast and would like to pay for the gifts of living, please share with your friends. And if you haven't already, please rate and review the podcast. Thanks so much.